appreciate you reminding me of that this morning, Brother Dwight. And uh, Robin says, Greg, you're 60, but don't worry because you're as immature as I've ever known you to ever be. So it actually means a lot to me. Good to be back here at the assembly. How many are glad that you were alive and, and born in the USA or, or in the USA today? Our great nation this Memorial Day weekend. And so grateful for our nation and our country. And uh, I know we have lots of problems and lots of stuff, whatever. But uh, I'm grateful for the land of the home and the free and the brave. Amen. And uh, those that serve, we honor you this morning and just are so grateful for all of you. Uh, what is going to be back? Pastor Dwight, Wanda, so good to see you guys, man, and, and um, you know, we're so thrilled. Rob and I couldn't wait to get back here. We miss you guys, and, and uh, we're so thrilled this year especially and, uh, that we have a young lady with us. Her name is Rebecca Pell, and, uh, which is amazing because those that know us, I always have called Robin like a nickname. I called her Pal, and, um, but Rebecca's last name is Pal, and so God brought a new Pal into our lives, and uh, Rebecca is the closest thing that my wife and I will ever, ever have to a daughter, and uh, we consider her our our daughter, she has a great mom and dad back in Romania. Uh, they lead a great orphanage there that we'll be at in a few weeks, as a matter of fact. And uh, Rebecca, we've known her since a, a little girl, and um, and, and now she's at Christ the Nations in Texas and uh, directs many of her overseas mission trips. She'll be next year in Africa and uh, in India and back in Romania. But uh, you'll hear an amazing testimony tonight from, from Rebecca, and uh, we're glad that she's here. And one reason I'm glad that she's here, and, I, and I'm not just, I, I mean this. Have you ever had someone in your life and that maybe you've known but your family maybe didn't get to meet yet and you thought, you know what, I, I want my family to meet them. I want them to know the people I got to hang out with. And um, that's where we feel about bringing Rebecca to be with you guys. And uh, Pastor Dwight and, and Wanda for Rebecca to meet people like this and, and to be in a church like this, whether you know it or not, you're, you're special people. So we are thrilled that she gets to be here and uh, that you, we just want everything on you to rub off all over on us. Except the humidity in the sweaty weather outside. Somebody say amen. And uh, you can keep the tornadoes as well. But anyhow, we're glad that you're here. And I'm looking forward to tonight, uh, Monday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, I want to encourage you to bring somebody, invite somebody. And uh, we just came off a meeting last week at home church. Saw about 50 people uh, baptized in the spirit last Sunday night. Uh, a fresh reminder that Jesus is still filling people with the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're believing God for refreshing, for God to heal and deliver. Uh, we are just in Africa a little over a week ago, and, and I was reminded again that Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals. And so we, we uh, believe in God for healings and deliverances, whatever. And uh, so whatever your need is, we're praying that you be refreshed that God would touch you and encourage you. And, and, uh, and those that you may bring that don't know the Lord, that Jesus would save their soul. How many wouldn't mind God saving your whole family? Somebody shout amen. Come up. And I uh, still so bring somebody, invite somebody, and uh, we'll believe in for four great nights. But this morning, basic Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, something that's put on my heart now for some time, and it, it, but it burns hot this morning, I can promise you. Ephesians chapter 2. Going to begin at verse 19. Then we're going to skip over to 1 Peter at chapter 2. If you're a note taker, uh, give me your email. I'll send you notes if you're into that, whatever. But Ephesians 2, verse 19, here's what the Word says on a gorgeous Sunday morning here in Bloomfield after Sunday. It goes like this. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is shown together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a, a, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, that famous phrase most are familiar with, verse 20, where it talks about Jesus himself being our chief cornerstone. And then if you head over to 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse number 4, 1 Peter 2 verse 4, it says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, Alumbus, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It was after dinner when mom and dad were getting some dishes together, and the sick and their little daughter, seven or eight, was at the kitchen table. The crayons were out in the paper, and mom looked back and said to their daughter, she said, honey, what are you drawing a picture of? And the little girl responded by saying, I'm drawing a picture of God. The mother was taken back. Mom and dad both turned around and said, honey, well, you don't want to do that because you can't do that because nobody knows what God looks like. She paused for a second, thought, and said to her mother, well, the no, when I get done drawing a picture of him. This morning for a few moments, I want to put a picture of what God looks like. We're given an amazing picture in Ephesians in 1 Peter of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Uh, Robin got saved when she was nine. Rebecca got saved, I think, an hour out of the womb. And that little girl growing up in the church. And, and uh, I'm 17, I said to Christ. But, but for many years, I've heard the phrase, the cornerstone. Christ, the cornerstone. Songs written about it. There's books written about it. Matter of fact, Peter talks about Jesus as the living stone. He's the bread of life. He's living water. He's the open door. He's the way that's true. But Jesus Christ is the living stone. And if Jesus is your Savior, I'm not talking mean Catholic, Protestant, uh, you know, um, Lutheran, gluten-free. If Jesus is your Savior, no, no, I mean if you're following Christ, I'm not talking to some religious deal. If Jesus is your Savior, then the living stone is precious to you. And so Peter talks about this, and he talks about the stone that the builders rejected. But Peter also refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. But here's the problem. That word in its origin, it does only speak about one stone. Most folks think of Jesus that knows someone in the Bible as, well, Jesus, the, the cornerstone, but he's more than the cornerstone. He is your living stone. And that word actually speaks on that one stone, but three distinct separate stones that paint a picture 
of who Jesus is in your life and who he wants to be in your life. The first one this morning, again, the one that we're most familiar, and that's where Ephesians, Paul talks about this, and, and then Peter, how Jesus is the, the chief cornerstone. Now, I'm not a builder, and there are builders I know in this room. I know that. Uh, there's great builders, and I'm so grateful. But uh, the cornerstone, a cornerstone is the primary stone that's put at the angular structure of a building that supports the entire building. There's other stones, but the cornerstone, there's no other stone like it. In the temple, in the original temple, the cornerstone weighed some 1.3 million pounds. We're talking about something huge. And because of where it was placed at the corner of a structure or a building, it gives the structure absolute stability and foundation. Now, now what does that mean? That God talks a lot about foundation. This morning on this, this Memorial Day weekend, we're reminded of the, uh, the price paid for us. And as a nation, we should we go back to our roots and what, what made us great and the sacrifice and, and such. And I'm so grateful. Jesus is your cornerstone. He is your firm foundation. Now, I want to say this. Uh, it's only Sunday morning. I'm not looking to lose any friends. I want to keep as many as I can the Sunday night till 9 o'clock. But you need to know this. If you do not know Jesus, you do not have a sure foundation. Doesn't matter who you are, whether you rent or whether you own. Doesn't matter who you know. If Jesus is not sure cornerstone, you've got the wrong foundation. Bible talks there in Matthew chapter 7, the, the reference of the, of the builder who builds a house on sand, how the rain comes and the streams rose and the, the wind beat against the house. It says, yet it did not fall because it had it is foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and has put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, been against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Simple, plain Bible. Nobody makes it without Jesus. Nobody does. If Jesus is not your foundation, he wants to become your cornerstone, man. Uh, you know, it's amazing. We see the importance here of foundation and the parable of Jesus and the difference between building on sand and building on solid rock. There's a part of our main that we go to. And can I come down a little bit and spit on a couple of people? That'd be all right just for a second, then I'll go back. Another part of Romania, and that will be there in August, there's Turkish Muslim villages and unreached areas. And we're going into these villages with our missionaries, and we have crusades, we plant churches, and we're buying property and land and buildings. God's moving in those villages. Uh, one village, it was a year and a half ago, we'll be back there this, this August for a visit. And one night, half the village accepted Jesus on one night. Because Christ is the living stone. Jesus puts broken people back together again. Uh, well, the Lord's so faithful. Money came in, bought some ground. A church building went up. But our first visit in this village, a man came running up the road to us. He was an American. I thought it was like a welcome, but it wasn't a welcome. He ran up and he said, what are you doing here? And I, he said, you're not welcome here. I'm thinking, well, that's a picker-upper. Thank you so much. And he says, we don't want you in this. He told the mission, we don't want you here. 
He said, this is my village. He'd been there for 20 years and under the youth or missionary, but, but, but no church, no witness. And he did some nice things, but the gospel was not touching that village. And so long story short, and I don't wish fortune, misfortune on anybody, honest, but he built a building in that village out of cinder block. Uh, even the Romanians said, in that part of Romania, you don't use block to build, but he built a building out of cinder block. Impressive. The church that's now built in that village is built on a cement slab with wood and other material, but no cinder block. A year ago, a storm blew through that village. A freaky storm. Only one building fell in that village. And the, village, the building, that fell, it makes no sense. The building built by cinder block was a seemingly amazing fortress of a foundation. The winds blew that building down. But the church of Jesus Christ, a cement slab with some planks and two-by-fours, it stood strong after the storm as it did during the storm and before the storm. The message is this. If Jesus is your foundation, you'll survive storms that take other people out. God will bring you through things you never thought you could ever get through. So this isn't about some little catchy of the stone, whatever. I'm talking life and death, man. I'm talking with hell, gives you a shot to take you out. And Satan says, I've got you. But because you built your life on the rock, Jesus Christ, you will stand firm. Somebody thank God for the cornerstone this morning. Come on. <laughs> Honey, am I yelling too much this morning? Maybe a little bit. Tone it down just a tad because this morning, okay, I got the message. Here's the deal. There's somebody breathing in the room today, and God's saying to you, check your foundation. Make for sure your marriage, your family, your life, your job. Make sure that Jesus is your chief cornerstone. Not one of many, but make sure that he is your only foundation. Number two, we, we think of the Lord as our cornerstone. But here, now there's a progression. He's not just your cornerstone. But when Christ becomes your, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sins and you give your life to Christ, when you establish Christ is your foundation, he then becomes, when Ephesians talks about this, Ephesians says, and in him, the whole building is joined together. It speaks there of the word keystone. I'm not big on repeating after me, whatever, but everybody say keystone on the count of three. One, two, three. I bet you're never once woken up in the morning and said, Jesus, I'm so grateful that you're my keystone. Nobody does that. Maybe if, oh God, you're my cornerstone, you're my anchor, you're my rock. But Jesus, your cornerstone, he's also your keystone. But you need to know this. He cannot become your keystone after you first make him your cornerstone. Kind of like Psalm 23. A lot of folks, man, that don't give God the time, you know, the, whatever. The, uh, hell breaks loose and all of a sudden the Lord's my shepherd. The Lord is not your shepherd if you first don't make him your savior. But when Jesus is your savior, he then becomes your shepherd. You follow me? So when Jesus is your cornerstone, you're building your life on the rock. He is your firm foundation. Then 
your cornerstone can become your keystone. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked this morning. We lived, now we flew into St. Louis yesterday, and it was in many years ago. We did youth camps about 500 years ago. Back when, when I wore my pants a whole lot lower. You know, you know the story, right? I'm, over, I'm 60 plus, so the pants get higher and higher and higher. Next time you see me, my belt buckle might be wrapped around my Adam's apple. It's disgusting. It's terrible. They get high. You ever see young people? I saw a kid in the plane yesterday. You ever see the younger, they got their pants wrapped around their kneecaps? And they're, they're, they're behind, and this kid gets in the plane yesterday, and I'm thinking, he's got his belt around his knees, and he's walking, whatever. And you're thinking, just pull, dude, dude, pull him up. We don't want to just pull up your britches. And we look at that, and we go, man, that's disgusting. No, what's disgusting? What's disgusting is over 60 again, whose belt buckles wrapped around their sternum. That's disgusting, church. So imagine this. The Jesus who is your cornerstone wants to be your keystone. In doing those camps many years ago, I remember our first time ever doing Missouri, Southern Missouri camps and where I first met your pastor there years ago. And I remember we took a couple days and went into St. Louis to see the big arch. How many have been to the arch? You, you, you've been there in that, that ride. That, right, if you're claustrophobic, you might not want to go on that puppy. I'm telling you right now. I sat in there with Robin and our niece Danielle. Uh, with, with a couple, man, we were like doing the Eskimo nose kiss in that thing. Uh, we're like looking at each other. It was, it was an illustrated sermon on how hot hell is. And we got in this little tiny, this little bubble and went up the arch and uh, having fun. with. But it was, it, the arch was amazing. But it was in 1965 in October. When the building of the arch was complete, because the, I'm not a build, but to build an arch, an arch is built out of three parts, not one, not two, but three. When you begin to build an arch, you build up a side and then a second side. They cannot stand by themselves. There are cables, there are cranes, there's machinery, there are cables. And there's tension, and they, uh, they, they build up one side, and, and the cables hold it together. And, uh, and they build up the other. But it was in October of 65, when the big moment came in St. Louis, when they placed the keystone in the center of the arch. The keystone. The Bible, the Bible talks about how this arch, uh, this, this building, it rises together. This amazing keystone, it is the, the top stone at, at the central position of the arch. It locks every other stone in position. It's called the keystone because it's center. And uh, uh, a home base is Pennsylvania, which is known as the keystone state. And uh, because of its central location or whatever. But the keystone, it isn't enough you have a keystone. The keystone to do its job must be put in the right place. They can't put the keystone off this left or to the keystone must be in the center of the arch. And when the keystone was put in place during the the keystone meant from then on the arch was virtually indestructible. The storms could come. Cornell's can come, but the arch still stands. Not because of one side or the other side, but because of the presence of the keystone in the center. Now, what is your point? You ever talk to some people, and you know you're going, they're going through a difficulty. So you ask them, hey, man, how's it going? How's the marriage? Well, we're trying to hold it together. 
Hey, man, heard about the doctor, the cancer, and we're sorry. How are you? Well, it, it, it took the, knocked the wind out of us. How you doing? I'm trying to keep it all together. The mom and dad this morning whose hearts are broken, you don't know where your son or your daughter is. The devil's been telling you all month that they're gone. It's over. Someone asks you, hey, how you hold, how you doing? We're just trying to hold it together. Do you know how many folks across the world this morning wake up with no joy? And there are many of them in our, they're in our churches. They've lost their joy, man. They've lost their victory. They know every song, but something's missing. And they live with a sense of, man, I'm, I'm trying to hold it together. Well, I've got some great news. When Jesus is your cornerstone, when Jesus is your foundation, he then becomes your keystone. In the moment Christ is your keystone, you will never, ever have to hold anything together again by yourself because he is your center stone. We see this. I'm not talking having a bad hair day, a bad sock day. I am talking when you go through life and the life says, I'm going to pull you to smithereens. When life says, do your deal, read your Bible, sing your songs, go to church, drop in your offering. But the devil says, I'm going to pull you to pieces. I've come to steal and kill and destroy. I'm not minimizing your battle this morning, but I'm magnifying the power of a center stone. I magnify the power of the Jesus that can keep you together when everything around you says, you're not going to make it, but you are going to make it. God bless you. You, you might not make it, but you're going to make it. That was a bad sneeze. I feel bad for the person sitting next to you. But anyhow, there could be somebody breathing in the room here this morning, and God's saying to you, let me show you the keystone that I want to be in your life. Her name is Pooja. Her name is Pooja. Rebecca's met her, so see her again. Pooja is 15 years old. You're not live streaming, are you? You don't do that. You're not, no, okay. Pusha means that she's named after a demon spirit. She was named after a demon. At four years of age, in the slums of Calcutta, India, she was brutalized by more than one man as a four-year-old. We bring doctors and surgeons with us to, matter of fact, we bring the head surgeon of all gynecology in the, in the Northeast. She's brilliant. Hershey Medical, she teaches there. Dr. Jamie, she's going with us to Romania, to Rebecca's hometown in a few days, and she's brilliant. And this is her, where she works, and she wept when she saw Pooja because he saw her body so torn to shreds, and now the HIV and all these things. Pooja is 15 years old. In that part of the world when you were involved in trafficking and the first day of being trafficked, you are abused more than 40 times the first day. They want to drive any hope of hope out of your life. And so that's what Pusha, what she's born into. But Pusha's been rescued. You see, God still rescues people because she's the living stone. There's nobody like our God. I'm not talking some little flimsy whimsy. I'm talking a powerful Jesus that can break the back of crack cocaine. I'm talking about a Jesus that puts broken people back together again. That's what he does. And now if you saw Pusha, we're there every October. 
I, I, I always have lunch and I sit near Pusha. I love that little girl. And some ask, well, how's she doing? She's doing supernaturally well. It's a miracle. But some, not, not, not you, but, but some folks will say, well, you know, that's nice and thank you for the nice Christianese answer, but are you kidding me? Come on. She got raped more than once as a four-year-old and her body's torn to shreds and, and uh, probably never be a mother. And she's HIV positive and, and all these things. And you, you don't, don't give me that, that she's doing well. Well, I'm sorry. I am going to give you that. She walks with joy. She walks with peace. She walks with victory. She sings, she dances before the Lord. How come? Because Pusha may be named after a demon, but Jesus wrote her name on the palm of his hand. And Jesus is holding Pusha together because he is the living stone. Jesus is the keystone. Say, Greg, I'm here this morning. I'm not like Pusha. I'm not like some that may be broken. I, I believe that there's somebody breathing in the room here this morning. And you came in a situation that's so big and so bad in your life, in, in your family. I'm not coming to preach a sermon. Are you kidding me? I've got no, I preached a, I, I want to deliver a word to somebody. I want you, someone to stagger out to your car so drunk in the hope of the Holy Spirit that you cannot find the keys to the ignition. I want you to walk out not drunk by, but so overcome with hope that it's, the devil's lied to you because that's, that's his native language. But Jesus is the keystone. And when you seem, when it seems like everything is being pulled apart and your life isn't what you ever thought it would be, if you make Christ your cornerstone, I'm telling you, and you place Jesus in the center place of your life. Remember the song I should have written, Jesus be the center of it all. I should have written that song. Come on. Jesus be the center of it all. Somebody shout yes. When Jesus is your keystone, he's saying to somebody right now, I've got you. I've got you in my hands. And my friend, nobody, the Bible teaches, can snatch you out of the hands of the one that died the middle cross for you some 2,000 years ago. Can somebody say amen? I think of Rebecca's home village and the orphanage and the children that are there. You'll hear some stories tonight that will give you goosebumps and chills and tears, but joy. About little girls that were so abused and so lost and so broken that when they were dropped off at the orphanage and forsaken, they didn't know if they were boys or girls. And they had cuts all over their bodies. And, and when they took their first bath, they didn't want to get out of the bathtub because they never knew that water could be made warm. I'm talking a little girl that went over to this thing on the edge of the, of the wall called a vent with heat blowing out of it. And she wept and she hugged the vent. She hugged the vent because she never knew that out of a wall could blow hot air. Or the little girl that, uh, or, uh, I forget, it was a boy or a girl, that when they'd serve dinner, she'd eat like crazy. And she'd sing and she'd eat because she thought, i got to eat all I can because I don't know when I'm going to ever get more food. But I'll be with them in a month. They walk with victory. They walk with, this is a little poor little girl. It's Christ the cornerstone. Christ the key. He will hold you together when things want to pull you to pieces. So today, in the name of Jesus, I pray somebody leave this place 
with a fresh revelation of who this Christ is who lives inside of you. He says, I want to be your firm foundation. Let the wind, the rain come, but if you're built on solid ground, you'll weather every storm that world can throw at you. Somebody say amen. And if he's your cornerstone, when the devil tries to pull apart your marriage, my husband and wife, some things are worth fighting for. One of them is your marriage. Don't believe some sheep word that says just end it, walk out, it's over. Let the cornerstone, let the keystone pull you together because that's who he is. This is what he does. You say, Greg, you know what? This Just end in prayer because he's my cornerstone. He's my foundation. I mean, he's my foundation. We just got back from Africa, some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life live in little mud huts in Zimbabwe, Africa. Those where Christ is their firm foundation. Nothing of the world materially. And I pray God blesses you. Don't get, don't go weird. I pray God prospers us. I pray God blesses us. I'm just telling you, it's something to be around people that worldwide have nothing, but they stand upon the rock, Jesus Christ. They sing and they dance and they've got more joy than we could ever imagine. Boy, that was a sick dance. I just gave it right there, wasn't it? You think, what are you doing, like an Irish jig? What was that all about? And, uh, but in Africa, they got it going on in Africa. I can't even do it. But they'll dance for an hour and a half every night before the crusade. This morning, tonight, almost up, Jesus wants to be your cornerstone. And Jesus wants to be your keystone. On this Memorial Day weekend, that this verse we read in Ephesians, the first word was consequently, which means as a result of or because of. And earlier in that chapter, it teaches, we've been brought near to Jesus by the blood he shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. Because of the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus, you will accept him into your heart. I'm not talking because mommy and daddy go to church. You go, or because your wife or your husband. Or I'm talking if you have given, you surrendered your life to Christ. He is your firm foundation. And if you put him in the center of it all, he will be your keystone. How many want the Lord to be your keystone? Somebody shout amen. We're going to end with this. Pastor Dwight Segreg, it's a holiday weekend. If you could end by three, that would be great. But I'm not going to go that long. He, he didn't say that. I'm only kidding you. I'm going to end with it. Matter of fact, brother, Nick, are you, coming, are you playing this morning? Are you playing the keys or something? Could you come even now? Could you do that? Because I'm not really done yet, but if you start playing, they'll think I'm done. And it'll work really well that way. And if you could play something soft that I have written would be great. Some of my songs, thank you so much. And, and, um, but as he comes to play something soft, are we still together this morning? Are we still together? Don't touch your car keys. You touch your car keys right now. Lightning will shoot out of heaven over your chair. And uh, it'll be just a horrible scene. We'll drag you out, bury you, come back in and finish the service. Jesus Christ, the living stone. No wonder Peter said, no wonder he said, to you who believe, this stone is precious. This isn't like a lucky rabbit charm we keep in our pocket. This is the living Savior we keep in our heart. In Him we live and move and have our being. We are the temple. We no longer own. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say a big amen? Say, Greg, you know, thanks, man, because I need to be reminded He's my, my cornerstone, my foundation. I, Greg, thank you because I needed to know that He is my keystone. If I keep Him in the center, He will hold it all together by the power of his might. If he can keep a push together as a happy, lovely princess 
of the Lord. Why can't God so touch you this morning that you stumble to your car saying, we're going to be okay, honey. We're going to be all right. Because greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. So cornerstone, keystone. But this one last one. It's in the scripture where it says in Ephesians, help us building, help it rises together. It's joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord. When it talks about cornerstone or the living stone, it speaks of not one but three cornerstone, keystone. And one last one and we're done. He says, I want to become your capstone. For builders, a capstone, the capstone is called the stone of glory. It is literally the highest stone in a pyramid. It's known as the top stone. Are you with me? Somebody say yes. Come on, we together? You're still here, right? You can be here, but not. Are we still here together? Come on. He's the top stone. The purpose of the capstone is unlike the purpose of the keystone and the cornerstone, the capstone, it's put on top to seal everything, to keep moisture from seeping in. It protects the structure from outside forces. That's what the capstone does. Great, well, that doesn't affect me at all. Actually, it does. Because 2 Corinthians 1.21 says this, Now what is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ? He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us. It put a spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is yet to come. We're going to end with this in a matter of seconds. We stopped in the grocery store or the, the Walmart there in Sykeston and got some things, some yogurt. Have you ever bought a yogurt? Are you going to buy your yogurt with a broken seal? I mean, I mean, are you going to do that? And I'll just fess up in case you think uh, this morning I ran down to the hotel in the lobby and the breakfast wasn't out yet, but the little fridge was and these little cartons of chocolate milk. Somebody say thank God for chocolate milk right now. Can somebody, can we just get that on the table right now? Thank God for chocolate milk. Thank you very much, ma'am. I appreciate that. And I'm looking in, and I, are you going to buy a gallon of milk with a broken seal? Are you going to buy a Coca-Cola broken seal? Whenever we're back home, which isn't often, we, we have the grocery store we go to. It's right near where we live in our home church. It's hard to ever go in there and not meet like 20 people from the church. I always get caught. For once, I'm going to get caught looking at kale and veggies and broccoli. But I am always get caught in the ice cream mile. Isn't that this like a work of the devil? I'm like perusing over the Turkey Hill and the Rocky Road and the Death by Chocolate and all these Edie's Caramel Delight. That'll change your life right there. Let it melt a little bit. Eat it creamy. You'll never be the same again. So I'm looking over the, I, it's then I usually hear, you know, Pastor Greg and just, um, yeah, buying something for my wife. I'm, I just left the veggies, but I'm, getting, I'm only kidding. you just just having a little bit of fun there, actually, for Rebecca. But anyhow, what was I talking about? I totally lost the whole deal. Oh, Yeah. Are you going to buy ice cream with a broken seal? A broken seal implies somebody tampered with the product. A broken seal implies, I break a seal on Turkey Hill. Until the seal is broken, Turkey Hill owns that ice cream. And to break the seal, you attack ownership. Remember they put Jesus, we sang about it, the borrowed tomb of Joseph. And when they put him in that tomb, they put soldiers out front, but they also put what around the tomb? A seal. 
the seal spoke of the government of the day and it bring protection or whatever. But you know what happened? We sang it. Remember, God robbed the grave. Aren't you glad in a resurrection morning, the power of God broke the back of that seal and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Imagine the seal was broken. The devil thought he had him, but Jesus took death for the nap for the nap. Jesus is alive. When you come to Jesus, God puts his seal of ownership on you. You belong to God now. His seal is upon you. And nothing comes to you without passing through the hands of Almighty God. Because you belong to God. It doesn't mean no more problems. And it doesn't mean uh, no more bad issues. It doesn't mean no more struggles. But what it means is that God has placed his seal of that you belong to him. And God has an amazing track record. He takes care of what and who belongs to him. But you never once woke up and said, Lord, you're, I can get this. You're my cornerstone. You're my rock. But I doubt anyone's ever, Lord, you're my keystone. And I doubt we've ever woken up and said, Lord, today, I'm so grateful that as I walk out of my house, you are my capstone. Your hand, you have sealed me. You've hemmed me in. I'm going to end with this, so we're going to close in prayer, I promise. I'm 17, told you before, 17, accept the Lord. A girl asked me to go to church. When she said, "Would well, you want to come to church, I looked at her and I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. That's what I said. And every young guy in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And that night, Jesus changed my life. That night, Jesus Christ became my cornerstone. That night, Jesus Christ saved my soul. The moment you come to Christ, he becomes your cornerstone. But I had no idea that when I accepted Jesus, I didn't just get the cornerstone. I got the keystone and I got the capstone all at once. And so do you when you come to Christ. Two weeks after I'm saved, I'm in my high school by my, my locker by 133. I'm ending with this, I promise. I try not to end more than 30 times, but I'm getting close. We're going to end after this. And a boy walked up to me. We'll call him, we'll call him Sean. Okay, Sean. Because his name actually is Sean. <laughs> Um, his name is Sean. And Sean came up with his baggy jeans. He had a white shirt with blue plaid, big plaid checks on it. He had wire rib glasses, hair curly and disheveled. And I, I knew of Sean. I didn't know him that well. We were different circles. He had his gang he hung out with. And I was playing sports with all the guys playing basketball and different things. And he walked up to me two weeks of a believer. And he walked up very gentle. And he said, hey, Greg, he said, I can't believe this. He, he said, I heard that you're spiritual. That's how we put it. I said, well, Sean, I, I said, yeah. I said, I didn't, actually, I didn't know it either. I went to church two weeks ago for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus Christ saved my soul two weeks ago Sunday night. He changed me, Sean. My sins are gone, buddy. I'm different. Jesus has made me brand new. And Sean was very gracious and calm, and he just never raised his voice. He was very soft-spoken, quiet, kind of backward, a little bit socially. And he said, he said, well, that's amazing. He said, I never would have guessed that about you. I could understand that because of things I would do. And, but he said, I, you know, we don't know each other, but I'm spiritual too. I said, Sean, you're kidding me. 
I had no idea you were spiritual. Sean, that's amazing. He said, yeah, he says, he says, I have been born and raised in the satanic church. I said, come again with that? I think I missed, well, come again with that? He said, we're spiritual, but we're from the other side. I didn't know there was an other side. I'm a new believer. I said, Sean, what are, you, what are you telling me? He says, what I'm telling you is you worship who you call Jesus. He says, I worship Satan. I've been born and raised in the satanic church. He said, we worship the devil. And there's people in America that are, that are many people that are in a cult of witchcraft. We just, every night in Zimbabwe, a week and a half ago, we saw demons coming out of people every single night during the crusade. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he and the sun sets free, is free indeed. Somebody shout amen. He sets people free. And, and I said, Sean, I said, I he said, yeah, we, my, my parents are leaders in the satanic church. We worship the devil. And he said, I, I, when I heard you were spiritual, I just thought you might be interested. And he was very, very calm and gracious and very kind. And he said, I, I, have, I, want, I want you to loan this to you. It was the satanic Bible. I didn't know they had one. It was a red book, a big black print. It's the satanic Bible. It was, his was a hardcover. And, and, and I wasn't a believer long enough. I didn't I know better. I, 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 he called, I said, son, well, well, sure. He said, no, it's my Bible. So, I, you know, read it, take some time, but, I'll, you know, get it back, whatever. And, and um, I put it in my, my bag right by my locker. Now, you're going to get ahead of me in the story, but I'm going to end this quickly. And I, I know I should have said, well, Sean, I'm sorry about But I didn't know better. I took the satanic Bible and I put it in my locker. Rob will tell you, and Rebecca actually knows, I'm very methodical how I pack. And my little travel bag over the shoulder, I know where my, my mints are. I, I, I got compartments for, I know where my, I'm not looking, where's my bag? I, I just, when you travel, it's good to have routine. You know where things are. I've always been really weird with, with travel and packing where I, I, I could never have Robin pack. My, she would never, she would. I, I need to know where it is. And they're actually laughing at me as I'm sharing this right now, which is quite encouraging. But, but, but it's, it's, I'm just weird like that. So what I'm, why I'm telling you that is I know I put his book in my locker. I know I did. I know I did. My, my combination of wild remedies, I have no idea. But 26, 28, 33, that was my combination of my locker in high school. The day came, the day ended. I got my locker to get my basketball stuff, to get my books, whatever, and this and that. Not that I took a lot of homework home, but whatever. Solid C-minus student. Somebody say, thank God for C-minus right now. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Rebecca, close your ears. But anyhow. I'll go to my locker. Everything was there. But no red hard-covered book. Did you ever have somebody loan you something and you lose it? That's a pick a rapper, isn't it? That's like a, like a chest, you know, pressure on my chest and numbness on my, right arm, my left arm. I'm looking in my, my locker, looking in my gym stuff, looking, and I'm looking. And then I began to look in places I knew where it wasn't. I'm looking at my parents' car that I drove that, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And, and then, don't you love people that want to help you when you lose something? Don't you love, God bless the people that come up to you and say, can you just remember the last time you had it? Don't you want to kill those people, just send them to heaven right there? Is that not a work of the devil? Can someone just give me a big amen on that right now? I'm looking, listen, I never found the book. I never found his Bible. I don't, to this day, I have no idea what happened to it. No idea. I'm not making it up to give you a good ending of the story. God's my witness. The book was gone from my locker. You said, Greg, you probably ran to Sean and told him, hey, Sean, you kidding me? It took me two weeks. I'd see Sean in the hallway, and I'd walk the other way, man, because I just didn't want to. But after two weeks plus, I went up to Sean and said, Sean, 
I said, I said, dude, I am so sorry. You, I, I've, been a, I've been avoiding you. But he, he said, what do you mean avoiding? He said, Sean, I can't, I can't believe this. You loaned me your Bible. You just to read it. I said, Sean, honestly, I didn't like burning. I didn't know about book burning. So I was a new believer. I didn't know about book, book burning and whatever. I said, Sean, I, I put up my locker. You were there. You might even see. I said, Sean, I, I, I lost it. I, he said, you, you lost it? I said, Sean, I'm not even sure. I, I don't know where it is. I didn't take it anywhere. You handed it to me. I put up my locker to begin. I said, I've looked all over. I've been distraught. I feel terrible. I said, Sean, I don't know where your Bible is. He was so gracious. He said, well, it's, it's kind of weird and kind of odd. And, but he let me off the hook. He was very gracious and very kind. Let me just say this. To this day, I have no idea what ever happened to that red devil's Bible. But here's what I believe. That somehow during the court, for some, this is goofy and far-fetched. But the carnal-minded person, spiritual things are always that way. Those who come to our services with carnal minds and haven't been in the Word, never pray, spiritual things are foreign to them, and they even trouble them. I'm not looking to be a troublemaker. I'm giving to you the way that it is. But to those who are of the Spirit, know that spiritual warfare is real. Somebody say amen. And I believe this. I believe this. That from when I put that book in the locker before the end of that day came, that God sent one of his mighty angelic hosts. I don't worship angels. Don't come up and introduce me to your angel. I mean, I, I believe in ministering angels. They're sent by God and they serve heirs of salvation. I believe somehow during that day that God sent an angel. And I don't mean like a four-foot angel that wears pantyhose and plays the harmonica either. I am talking. I, I prefer... Rambo angel, how about you? Can so I, I prefer, uh, you know, like, you know, a Liam Neeson angel. Come on, can I get an amen in the house? Come on. And I believe that somehow during that day, a school day, yep, in schools we kick God out of, that God saw one of his children in trouble. He saw a blatant assault on a baby in Christ. And I just can picture some big old gunslinging angel walking down that hallway. Didn't know the accommodation, didn't need it, but reaches into my locker, takes the Bible, says, Satan, I think this isn't going to go any further than here. To this day, if you want to know what the book is, you have to ask God, I've got no clue. But I think my topstone, I think the one that covers me, protected me and walked over me that day. Greg, and why are you telling me all that? Because there's somebody breathing in the room this morning, and the devil has unleashed a ferocious attack against you and your family. And God's saying to you, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. Let's stand all over this room. You've been so attentive and been so kind. Let's stand all over this room.